From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. Are you fully charged? And where does meaning come from? How do you bring meaning to your work and to your life? And where does it really come from? We have an interesting source for that today. It's not spiritual at all. It's completely scientific. In fact, we have one of the former lead scientists and researchers and partners from Gallup uh, Group, who uh, his name is Tom Rath, one of the all-time best-selling nonfiction authors. I mean, all time. Uh, wrote Strengths Finder 2.0. Uh, his newest book is called Are You Fully Charged? He sold millions of copies. And um, we're going to talk through the science of what creates meaningful work and meaningful lives and engagement and how you as a leader can create that for your people or how you as a performer can create that for your world or for your family. This is a powerful episode. You are not going to want to miss it. This is an important episode, and I think you're going to be shocked, uh, maybe not shocked, but but pleasantly surprised at where meaning comes from. So this is your chance to sit down, listen to me, and Tom Rath have a chat about becoming fully charged. We'll get right to it just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. Tom Rath is pretty much in a world all of his own. His, his books have sold over 6 million copies every single week. I see one of his books, Strengths, Finders 2, Strengths Finder 2.0, uh, clocking in at the very top of all business books. And uh, he's just a really amazing guy, a, a really a researcher and a scientist. And uh, I'm sure you've probably heard of him. His latest book is what we're going to talk through today, which I just read myself. Um, it's called are you fully charged the three keys to energizing your work and life and um, if you don't know Tom used to be a senior scientist and advisor to Gallup which is where a lot of his work started and uh, with strengths finders and um, is just just a real a really one of the world's leading thinkers I think and so Tom welcome to the show thanks so much it's great to be talking with you today yeah, I I think that uh, you know I've always been fascinated by your work and relating you know specifically to kind of employee engagement and um, really this book at first I thought it was more about the the physical parts of being charged which we'll get into that is a part of it but I, I was 
I was delighted to f- find that really what you were talking about is trying helping people find meaning in their work. And why why do you think so many people are struggling to find meaning in their work today? You know, it's a great question. That, and the top of mind for me is the fact that, you know, one, I put a little bit of the burden of that on each of us as individual workers where, you know, we, we get more focused on happiness and kind of separating out work from family instead of thinking about a more integrated mission and picture. So that's on the individual side of it. On the corporate side of it, you know, it's easy to get conditioned to where you're looking at uh, responding to quarterly demands, near-term demands, mm-hmm. and companies don't get as focused on the contribution they're making to the lives of employees. I mean, I think if you were to really step back for a moment and say, why are people part of organizations, we all, I mean, two entrepreneurs get together in the first place because they think if they uh, join heads that they can do more together than they otherwise could apart. And that assumption, in my opinion, should kind of be baked into every intention and conversation as organizations grow larger and larger, but yet it's hard to yank ourselves back to say, yeah, I mean, let's say you're a company that um, is in in food service, for example. If you have people who are preparing food each day and they never get to see the face of a satisfied customer who's eating mm-hmm. the food they're preparing, they don't make food that's anywhere near as high a quality statistically when people study this. And the customers aren't as happy because they don't they don't receive the higher quality food. And so we've got to find little ways just throughout the day to connect what we're doing with why we're doing it. If for no other reason than because if we do so, then we do better work, it's higher quality, and we get more done. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, I think the uh, you know the main backbone or outline of the uh, the whole book, "Are You Fully Charged?" is these three these three segments, and and um, uh, so meaning, interactions, and energy. And I just wanted to kind of just briefly touch touch on each one of them. You already mentioned. Um, happiness and meaning. And that was fascinating to me because you talk about how, how meaning is one of the keys, one of these, one of the three keys to being fully charged, but what's the difference between pursuing meaning and pursuing happiness? You know, it's a more important distinction than I would have realized uh, even a few years ago where when, you know, it seems like there's this pursuit of happiness that literally the phrase is baked into the constitution mm-hmm. and here in the United States at least and that people spend a lot of time pursuing their own happiness and many times when people uh, focus in isolation on their own happiness it actually takes things in the wrong direction where you get so focused on that it decreases your well-being and the well-being of your family or friends or coworkers and network around you whereas you know, even if I had a friend who was really struggling and he was having a hard time right now, the first thing I would recommend he do is something directed towards picking up the spirits of another human being. Because mm-hmm. that's really the best way to pull yourself up in parallel is to focus more of your time and energies on the things that you can do for other people. So that's, I think there's an important distinction there where meaning is something that you um, get from doing anything, any efforts for another person. And in theory, that also picks up someone else's spirits and it starts to uh, spiral upward and energize the network all around you. Yeah, there's some, uh, I know that you guys did a documentary movie also, and I saw you had uh, 
a social, I guess, a social scientist or a networking scientist who was talking about the how your behaviors actually affect not only the people you interact with, but then the people they interact with, and and so forth, and and uh, and so on. So, um, so staying here on the topic of meaning, the um, you kind of break that one down into strengths, interests, and needs. I think the strengths part wasn't really a surprise to me just because of all of the work on, uh, you know, sort of finding your strengths and, and working in your strengths. The interests part made sense. But the third part about needs, uh, I think, is another part that is kind of rare that we don't hear people talk about that, that uh, y- you know, finding more meaning has a lot to do with serving a need. So can you talk about why needs matters and what you, what you mean by that? Yeah, you know, it's, there are really some basic needs from a uh, physical and mental well-being standpoint that, um, it, I mean, just for example, it can, be, it can be something as simple as if my intent, as good as it can be, to, is to serve other people or to do one specific thing that helps a, a group of people, I need adequate energy to wake up each morning and be as good as I possibly can for others. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time working with both leaders on one end of the continuum and on the other end of the continuum, uh, hospice nurses who are helping people Mm. at one of the most critical times of need in life. And the one thing those two groups, nurses and leaders, really have in common is they're too quick to put everyone else's physical needs, when you think about something like sleeping or moving around throughout the day ahead of their own, and as a product, they can't be of as much service to someone at three or four o'clock in the afternoon because they only got four hours sleep. And, you know, you see, you see this in military groups I've worked with as well, where there's this kind of ethic of I'm going to put everybody, everyone else's needs in front of my own. And that leads to you're the one staying up until 2 a.m. You're the first one on email at 6 a.m. And the challenge is when, especially when leaders do that, that sends a message that that's a cultural expectation to everyone around them. And not only are they less effective at three in the afternoon, but they have teams who feel like they need to model that type of behavior and it causes all kinds of problems. Interesting. So it's kind of like this balance between, you know, serving other people and doing good things for them. Like that's part of what brings us meaning, but not to the point of, uh, you know, exhausting our own sort of physical well-being. Yeah, there's a balance there. It's a good way to think about it where you need to put your own, I mean, it's kind of the tried but true example of putting your own oxygen mask on first um, when you're on an airplane where you need to make sure you're meeting your own basic needs and showing others that you value that. And then you can be of even more service to other people in terms of building good relationships, doing meaningful things for people. And you mentioned the documentary Fully Charged, and it's just fascinating to me how uh, in that movie, Nicholas Christakis is the one who's done a lot of the research on social networks, and he talks about the way he was working as an internist in Chicago back in the uh, late 80s, I believe, and he got a phone call from a guy who was talking about uh, how upset he was because his best friend was really upset. And it turned out that he was calling Christakis because his best friend was the spouse of a woman whose mother was dying and he was treating as a physician. And he talked about the way four degrees out. So this gentleman he was speaking with, it was his friend, and then it was the daughter of the woman and the woman who was the one that was sick. But what he realized in that moment was that these 
whether you're talking about something traumatic like that or you're talking about positive emotions or you're talking about obesity, they spread all the way out to three or four degrees in social networks. And so if if one friend of yours all of a sudden um, becomes depressed, becomes obese, becomes a lot happier, that reverberates out pretty quickly and you can measure statistically the influence out to three degrees. That's amazing. That's so, that is crazy. It's remarkable. Yeah, we don't, and we kind of take for granted these little interactions with people each day where I'm sure if I say, if I say the term that's kind of, people have been researching lately, secondhand stress, there's probably one person in all of our lives that comes to mind where we know what the scientists are talking about in terms of if we find ourselves around that person more often and they continually stress us out, that stress carries over to our spouses, to our children, to our mm. coworkers pretty quickly. And we've got to think about that consciously so that we can, if nothing else, protect the people we care about. Oh, that is so powerful. Um, the, so this, this concept of interactions is the second key for those of you, if you've missed it and, and uh, you got meaning interactions and energy. So before we leave interactions here, um, you talk about iPhones and you cited this study about the impact that iPhones have. And I think we, we read a lot and we hear a lot about, uh, the negative impacts of being on our phone all the time and, um, being, um, you know, on the phone when we're with other people, but this was, took it a little bit of a step further. This was just about, um, having the iPhone. Can you, can you talk us through just a little bit of a, a recap of what that research said? Yeah, and you know, it's it's probably one of the of all the pieces of uh, science that I've studied in the last uh, three to five years. That's the one that's influenced my own behavior, especially as a parent, personally, mm. more than anything else. And the the study I was looking at originally showed how the phones have become such a metaphor for where our attention is that if I take my phone out of my pocket and whether it's at the dinner table with my wife and kids or whether it's in a meeting, I take the phone out of my pocket. And even if the thing is powered off, it's not vibrating, it's not flashing, it's not buzzing like ever all of them do, um, that sends a signal to other people at the table that the phone comes before them. And in most cases, what they're saying and what they're talking about and what they care about, and, but that phone comes first. And as a result, just putting the phone that's powered off on the table in experiments degrades the quality of the conversation for mm. everyone around the table. And so as I read that, I've been so much more conscious about it. I mean, some of these phones are too big to put in your pocket at times nowadays, but um, I make sure the <laughs> phone's stored away and not visible anytime I'm asking my kids how their day was at school or I'm talking to someone I'm mentoring about what's important to them. I, I make sure the phone's nowhere near. Just, I don't want it to send the wrong messages about where my uh, attention is and what I'm listening to, because, you know, the, and the more I've studied this research, you, you see it play out in all of our lives each day. I think one of the single most valuable things that uh, especially a leader, a manager, a teacher, a parent can do in the next 10 years might just be asking another person a question, ensuring you keep your mouth closed, and genuinely listening to that person's response. I think, that, boy, that's going to have a lot more value as each year goes by. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that becomes listening is becoming more and more of a scarce resource mm -hmm. um, and a scarce practice. So, 
love it. I love it. That iPhone, I mean, that is something I will be taking to the bank personally and executing and, and really being intentional about. the. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit just about the energy um, because that does come into it. It's the third kind of key here. Um, and my first question was just, do you think that most like companies... Are they really concerned with people's energy performance? Is it that they are, or is it more like they should be and they're not yet? They should be and they're not yet. It's a, okay. it's a simple answer because, you know, companies, there's some weird, uh, the way things are set up in the United States, at least in particular, that companies are responsible in most cases for people's health care, at least with large employers. And as a product of that, companies are having all these remedial conversations with employees about how they they send them through things they call health risk assessments and have people report back on what are the disease burden areas you need to work on for example i mean you you it's an important conversation between people and uh employers but yet it's going through this health prevention uh door where you i mean you couldn't pick labels that were more likely to scare off employees from that conversation if you got a team of branding experts in the room. <laughs> Seriously. And so it, it, it all evolved with the right intentions and everything else. But the, I think the conversations managers and leaders need to be having with the people they lead and care about is how do we make sure you have enough energy for good performance and so you have good well-being and this job sustainable for you? And that's unfortunately because of all these uh, health specific topics and insurers and the way things are set up, a lot of managers and leaders are scared to have that conversation. But I would argue that you can't be fully effective as a leader unless you're thinking about that. And you see the growth of the person and the development of the person as an end in itself. And they're just not, mm -hmm. if you, if you're looking at your employees as uh, one more cost to reduce from a healthcare standpoint, a payroll standpoint, it's, the odds of you're genuinely investing their development are really low. Wow. That's so powerful to the need to see the growth of a person as an end in and of itself. That is worth taking a mental highlighter to. And, um, so what about sleep? How, how important is, uh, sleep and, you know, there's been a lot, I feel more like lately that has been coming out and, you know, what's the right amount of time? How much does it really matter? Yeah, you know, it's a good it's a good topic because most people don't realize I think that you know, if you don't get 7 or 8 hours of good quality sleep, you in many cases have cognitive impairment that's equivalent to having a six pack of beer before you show up at work. Mm. And it's it's bad for your performance on the job. It's bad for the quality when people measure quality of work. Uh, when you don't have enough sleep, you don't remember what you learned the day before. And you're obviously a poorer student that next day and you have fewer creative ideas. So the, the sleep's probably the most underestimated business critical element. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't think people are talking about enough. The more I read on this topic, again, back to uh, how you change some things personally, um, we've really made sleep into a, a family value and something that I talk about with my kids and with my colleagues to say, how do we arrange our schedules so that sleep's something that's highly valued and rewarded? And I quit sending my kids to bed when they weren't behaving. Uh, the more I started to read about this, because think about the message that sends where sleep's a punishment, not something that's held up as a, an ideal in a household. And so we've got to think about, and I think a lot of us screw up in uh, households, I'm sure, that 
where the last thing you'd ever do is admit that you needed a whole eight hours of sleep because it was kind of a badge of honor to say, I only need four and I can still be effective. Um, there's maybe for one or 2% of people, they can get away with four, five, six hours and still be okay. But for 98% of us, that's not going to cut it if we want to be our best. Mm. Yeah. Lack of, lack of sleep is not a badge of honor. I, I think that's, I think that is is powerful. One I saw a, a in the documentary movie a little highlight about uh, someone, a, a woman that you were interviewing. She was some senior leader in the military, and she said we consider sleep like ammunition. It's like the you wouldn't go into battle without bullets. You same same. It's like the the, the same same with sleep. The amount of hours they're sleeping. I thought that was pretty a pretty powerful um, thing. So the other thing I wanted to just highlight here, um, what about sitting? Just really, really quick, Tom, can you talk about sitting? Because this was another, this one was another surprise to me. And uh, just, I don't think most people think about this one. Yeah, we, we've just got to re-engineer. I mean, we kind of engineered our work lives, at least, so that we can get everything done without having to get out of our chair. You click a button and Amazon delivers it. And you want a printer right next to your desk and everything else. But, but the, we need to do the exact opposite and figure out how do we build little breaks in throughout the day that force us to get up, to move around, ideally every 20 minutes at a minimum every hour, because it turns out that even if you follow all the recommendations nationally and you exercise five days a week and you do it for 30 minutes, that does not offset going to work and sitting on your rear for mm. uh, eight or 10 hours each day. It's That causes more health problems and leads to poor performance and productivity and well-being than if you, I mean, I, I think most Americans, frankly, should worry more about breaking up the eight hours of sitting and then think about, do you need to exercise for 30 minutes and get the intense cardiovascular activity? Because the sitting's a bigger problem based on the work that I've studied. Huh. That's kind of, that's a surprise. That's a surprise. That's a surprise to me. But I mean, that's, I think that's encouraging. I mean, it's easier to it say, easier. hey, I'm going to get up and walk around. Well, and it's it's as simple as just, I mean, whether you sit and stand to work every now and then or set a timer and reminder to get up every 20 minutes. You know, when I spend time speaking to audiences, I've realized that I have to do something to get them up and moving around every 15 or 20 minutes, or I could almost guarantee they're not learning no matter how compelling content or a person is. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I have one other thing for you to wrap this part up before we do the extended interview. But uh, where, Tom, do, where do you want people to go to connect with you and learn more and get, are you fully charged? Yeah. TomRath.org is the most simple place to find all the resources and a lot of studies and references I've been talking about. Mm. So this last little question here, I uh, hope you don't mind. It's a little bit of a personal question, but um, and I think maybe the average person that hasn't read the book doesn't know, but that cancer is something that you personally have been have been uh, you know battling for a number of years. And um, if there's somebody out there who maybe is going through some real real health issue, um, some type of health crisis, um, what would you say to them? And how much do these things that we're talking about here apply and really matter in the face of, of major sort of like life and health crises? Yeah. You know, the thing I've learned through battling cancer and uh, my kidneys and spine, pancreas all over for, I've got a condition that kind of shuts off a powerful tumor suppressor. So I've been battling cancer in all these areas for well over 20 years now. And the the thing that I've learned is there is no cure-all yet when you're facing, whether it's heart disease or cancer, diabetes, but 
the one thing we do all have in our power is we can make a lot better choices starting today. And those little choices accumulate quickly, and they can dramatically improve our odds of living a longer life and better health. So there are a ton of things you can do right now to chip away at having better odds, no matter how dire of a condition or challenge you're facing. And better yet, if you're healthy today, you can get ahead of those things so that your odds are so much lower, you don't have to worry about it 10, 20, 30 years down the road, which is an even better idea. Well, Tom, my friend, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the work that you've done. Uh, You inspire so many, you and your team, all the research, uh, pulling in the science is is really convicting. And uh, we just appreciate your time and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It's been a fun discussion and an honor speaking with you. Uh, what an honor to just get to sit down with, I mean, truly one of the premier thought leaders in the world, uh, for the last several years. And when I say that he's like bestselling author, I'm talking, they sell thousands and thousands of copies every single week. I see that when, uh, you know, my publisher sends me this, the rankings and things and that, you know, strengths finders is always number one or number two. And if it's number two, it's not number two for very long. And uh, anyways, it's just uh, just fabulous. And when I was reflecting back and listening to that interview, there was one line that was right in the beginning that he said kind of like quickly. And I went back and I had to listen to it because I was like, that is so strong, so good. And I love, you know, the thing I love about people like Tom Rath, right, is they do all this science, they do all this research, they do all this analysis. And, uh, you know, a lot of people that write, they write kind of from like instinct and uh, from experience. And and yet when you have somebody like him and then you, you, you see how much of, how much of it is validated by like actual science and, and research. But um, he said uh, something, he's, I'm, I'm going to reshape it a little bit here because um, the, we were talking about how to find meaning in your life. Right? How do you find meaning in your life? That is such a big question, such an important question. And he, and he said, most people confuse meaning with happiness, and most people are pursuing happiness, and you pursue happiness, and what happens is in our pursuit of happiness, we end up with a life that is devoid of meaning, That is so powerful in our pursuit, like in our endless pursuit of finding happiness, we end up with a life that is devoid of meaning. In other words, pursuing happiness isn't what brings happiness. Pursuing service brings happiness. Pursuing helping other people creates happiness, pursuing being of use, right? Uh, Albert Einstein Einstein, uh, once said, don't uh, work to be a person of importance, work to be a person of value or something, something like that. But the, the, but that is the essence, like that is where meaning comes from. It is through the relationships that we have with other people, through the the service through the elevating of other people, that is what creates happiness. And this 
this whole myth that it's like, you know, you you need to just like disappear to a mountain for uh, 90 days to, to find happiness or or you have to do something like life, you know, altering, like you got to go, you know, whatever, bungee jumping or skydiving or, or uh, you need to make more money to be happy. Like there's so many different messages that are out there around where you find happiness from. And yet the, the science on this, he says, is very clear that, that, that happiness comes comes from serving other people meaning comes from being valuable to your fellow humans and that is massive and encouraging and inspiring and actionable that is actionable that is something that you can do Immediately, you can change your entire paradigm and focus uh, on being of value. And so uh, that was one of my key highlights. Um, I'm going to share with you three three key highlights for me, and then five the five big action steps that I want you to take and that I'm going to take. Um, the second one, and he actually didn't cover this one so much in the in the interview, but uh, he is, he does talk about it in the book. Is that giving creates joy. Giving creates joy. It's it's kind of similar to that that service produces happiness. But giving, the act of giving, of sharing is one where the neuroscience here of what happens is that it reduces cortisol and cortisol is a chemical that's released in your drug in, in, in your drug. It's a chemical released in your brain that is one of the chemicals that is, you know, largely responsible for stress and us feeling stressed. But giving releases dopamine, the pleasure-releasing drug. And again, how powerful to have this backed by so much science and research, the things that we know intuitively and we kind of talk a lot about on on this show and, and, and writing and probably other places that you've heard, right? But that giving creates joy. Service brings happiness and giving creates joy. And then the third thing in terms of third big highlight for me was this whole idea of uh, influencing your network uh, and the story he told about the you know the four the four degrees of separation but the four degrees of of influencing you know I was depressed because my friend was depressed because uh, his friend was depressed because her mom was sick and the same is true in inversely right if if I'm happy then it causes someone else to be happy someone else to be happy someone else to be happy that we can scientifically prove that the attitude that you choose right now right like the the confidence you have right now the the demeanor that you carry right now this very second is going to impact somebody and that is going to impact at least two or three other levels of people so when you hear people talk about how change your attitude you know changing your attitude can change your life it's not only changing your life it's changing the lives of the people around you which thereby changes your life even more right? You are the center of your environment. You are the center of your circumstance. And whatever the pressures are, the emotions are, the the energy that you are feeling, good or bad, is largely and directly your fault. It's the result of you. And it's your it's in your power to influence. And you you may not be able to control everything that happens all around you, but you can largely influence, we now know, 
scientifically the world around you um, in addition to managing yourself and how self-management is really the, the form of mastery that we're all pursuing. But that not only does that influence the people around you, it, it or ex- excuse me, not only does it Im- impact you, it impacts the people around you. And it's a very high service to others to be your highest self. It is a high service to others to be your highest self. And maybe, like, maybe for you, you, maybe you don't take care of yourself. Maybe you don't think of yourself as a high priority. Maybe it's, maybe it is because you're so selfless. Maybe it's because you do care so much about other people. And so maybe this whole idea of, you know, being your highest self has never been something that's been appealing to you. It's never been something motivating to you, or it's never been in your goals, or it's never been something that that you've pursued because you felt like it was self-centered. But what we learn here and what we know now is that who you are affects more than you. Who you are, the life that you choose to live affects more than just you right? And and so if you can't take care of yourself for the sake of taking care of yourself, take care of yourself for the sake of influencing others. When you achieve greatness, you inspire other people to be great. When, when, when you do something magnificent, you inspire other people to do something magnificent. When you live healthy, you inspire people to be healthy. I uh, thought about, I think I've shared this a couple times on the show, that um, you know, I haven't had alcohol for a very long time. And uh, based back to when um, we found out we, I, uh, we were pregnant, when AJ told me we were going to have a baby, and, and that was a big part of it. But, um, you know, it, it was a large part. I wanted to, like, do the solidarity thing and support, you know, be supportive and make it as easy as possible for her. But it was also because I had a number of people that I respected in my life that truly influenced me in this area. Uh, Lewis Howes is one of my pals. He's been on the show. Uh, I've been on his show, and uh, you know he doesn't drink, and 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 that had a big impact on me. And Navy Seal Joe was a guest we had on this show, and and he doesn't drink, and uh, you know that that had a big impact. And then Waldo Waldman, we had uh, a you know fighter pilot just just a few episodes ago, and he doesn't drink. And then I have my friend Jay Wang, and he doesn't drink. And these people that I really respect, and I, I'm not saying that you should never drink in your life. Um, you know, that's a, those are all choices that you have to make and whatever. But but the point is that those people directly impacted me with the decisions that they were making. They don't even know it. They, they, none of them probably even know it because none of them probably listen to the show. But, but you have the same impact. You have the same opportunity to influence those around you. It is a tremendously high service to others to be your highest self. And that should be reason in and of itself for you to push yourself to the next level and for you to be great. So, um, those are th- those are three of my mental highlights. I got one other big one that I'll leave you with, but um, just committing this to action, right? So how do we how do we catalyze some action here? How do we get ourselves? What can we do? What can we take action on here to help us fully recharge? Um, because I think that's what Tom is is hoping for, both in our corporations, right? I I think it was I like 
when he said, you know, corporations don't care about this, but they should. I mean, it affects things very specifically in a, in a bottom line dollar way with our health insurance premiums and stuff. And then it also affects things in terms of people's productivity, which is even much more expensive or much more valuable. But then, of course, in our personal lives, because you may or may not be able to influence your office environment or get a hold of your boss and tell them, hey, go listen to this episode with Tom Rath and here's why we should do whatever. But in your personal life, these are five things that you can do. And these are five things that I am I am committed to that uh, he really hit on. So number one, sleep. Number one is sleep. I always sleep. I'm a I'm a believer a believer in Vince Lombardi's old phrase that fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I have always highly valued sleep. And um, you know, there's I've certainly had a, a fair share of late nights in uh, you know graduate school and being an entrepreneur and starting a business and preparing for the world championship public speaking and you know things like that. But but. Uh, you know, I would say 95% of nights I'm getting seven hours of sleep at least. And that is huge. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Vince Lombardi, right? I mean, just powerful. And number two is to take stand-up breaks, to take stand-up breaks. Now, this is one, I've, I've read some of the research on this. I'm not fully sold on the idea of taking breaks. I don't take a ton of breaks personally, and I have a hard time uh, advocating to people to do things that I don't really do. So I'm not necessarily saying, hey, you need to take a break after every hour. I think you should at least be able to work for two hours straight and, and have an intense harvest season of focus. But standing up, I think is great. You know, a lot of a lot of our friends, uh, Dave Brown, one of our senior partners, has a, a fully stand-up desk now these days. And I know a lot of top producers that do the stand-up desk thing. But even if you have a sitting desk, you can you know do your phone calls standing up and walk around, right? That's one of the things. I'm a, I'm a pacer and people make fun of me because a lot of times I'm pacing back and forth when I'm on the phone. But I think it's sort of an instinctive thing that happens for my body is saying, hey, I need to, I need to get up and I need to move around um, for a little bit. So take stand-up breaks, not so much I'm not personally advocating that you need to take more breaks. I guess that's something for you to figure out. But um, standing up and moving around and taking some time to do that. And you you guys know where I stand on the exercising every day thing for uh, consistency more than intensity has been my strategy for exercise. But um, so that's number two. Number three, this is a big one, big one. Put away the phone. Put it away. Put away the phone when you're with other people. Like, not just don't look at it, not just turn it off, not just, you know, eliminate all the, 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 the ringers and the beeps and the chirps and the buzzes and the stuns and all those things, but like put it away. And that was really compelling uh, to, to uh, hear him go through the data and the research on just it lowers, it, it lowers the effectiveness of that interaction. It lowers the intimacy of an interaction by simply just having your phone visible. Who would have thought? I mean, I guess it does make sense if you think about it, but you know, those of us that have been addicted to our phones at times, we go, well, hey, I'm not on it. What's the big deal? But it's like, well, if you're not, then why do you need it? Like, why, do you, why does it have to be there? So put it away, and I'm going to do it. And any of you that end up uh, ever talking with me, you're not, I'm not going to have my phone when I'm talking to you. You're not going to see it. And if, and if you do, you could tell me to put it away. And those of you that are on the mastermind call with me personally twice a month, I'm not going to have my phone around anywhere 
everywhere that you would see it. And so that that's a big, that's a game changer, a uh, simple thing, but actionable that I think the, all the people around us are, are going to appreciate. Number four is eat for energy, eat for energy. We didn't cover this in the interview, but he hits this pretty hard in the book that, um, people who set goals like, Hey, I want to lose weight. You, you know, there's, they, they looked at one study where it was like people who said, I want to, I want to lose weight versus, um, another group of people, only about 25% of people say, I want to improve my eating habits so that I have more energy. Yet over the course of time, it is the people who say, I want to, I want to eat better to have more energy that end up losing the weight. And it's because they're not in pursuit. I mean, the, 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 I guess the hypothesis or explanation of this is because they're not in a pursuit of some you know, obscure, abstract goal that may or may not ever happen, but they're pursuing the idea of having more energy that day or the next day. So they're living with a more short-term focus and they know that, hey, if they eat certain foods or eat too much or drink too much or whatever, it's going to affect their energy today or tomorrow. And that changes everything. And so they're always sort of thinking like one day ahead, I want to have great energy tomorrow. I want to have great energy tomorrow, which means I need to sleep today and I need to eat healthy today. So I thought that was, that was kind of powerful in terms of eat for the moment. And then number five, number five is focus on your strengths. It's an actionable thing to say, you know what? I want to really focus and, and hone in on my strengths. I don't want to spend all this time and energy battling uphill, like trying to fight gravity to simply get better at my weaknesses when I can find other people and partner with other people who have my weaknesses as their strengths. And that's what creates a powerful team. So focus, focus, focus in on your strengths. Um, So those are some actions, but man, the biggest idea for me out of that whole thing is just the science behind that pursuing happiness isn't what brings happiness. Pursuing service is what brings happiness. Leadership simply means that you are going to be looking out for the best interest of the people who are going on the journey with you. So leadership is not about having people work for you or do stuff for you. It's about identifying a group of people for whom it's worth working for right? It's not about leveraging other people for your gain. It's about you leveraging what you have to create opportunity for those people around you. And, and it's, it's a service because if you're able to empower them to create something that's bigger for themselves than what they might create on their own, not only are you going to be a great leader, but you're going to be happy. So whether you're a brand new leader or you've been leading people for decades, the only real thing you need to focus on to be a great leader is to use your talents and skills to pave the path for the people around you and to look out as much as you possibly can for their best interests, right? So for some of parts, like for certain times of my life, I have actually carried the official title, the title of a leader, but often it's not been a title, frankly, that I've deserved, because I was filtering everything through the lens of how it would make me better, how it would advance my career, how I was learning, how I was growing, how it was creating more opportunity for me. And during those times, I wasn't a leader. I was, I was just an orchestrator. The day that I finally became a leader is the day that I started evaluating decisions based on how they would improve the lives of other people. 
And that is where happiness comes from. Happiness isn't the result of the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is the result of the pursuit of service. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.